Blog Talk Radio. Las Vegas, a gambler's dream and a dreamer's paradise. They're all about to meet their worst nightmare. Look out, Vegas. I'm taking over. Now, the leprechaun's back in the city that never sleeps. <laughs> and he will never rest until he reclaims his pot of gold. Belongs to me, this gold I smell. Where the gun, it's going to hell. I want me shilling. Hello? <laughs> if we destroy the gold, we get rid of the leprechaun once and for all. Leprechaun 3. The third time's the charm. Welcome to another edition of Rainbow Nerds. For story nerd cred, one geek at a time, I am the head hauntress. This is a spin-off of the At The Sexy Witches podcast from a geek girl's perspective. The next one of those will be on the 28th. We're going to have a big summer preview because, oh boy, we've been hitting some... Uh, premieres, actually. One of our people went to the Aladdin premiere, another person I know went to the King of uh, a Godzilla premiere, and we're going to have early reviews of all that stuff on that episode. But let me introduce us to tonight's episode of Repo Nerds, and Repo Nerds is a spinoff in what we do here, and it's more of a traditional movie review show. We do a recommendation segment, and we do a uh, retrospective either on one film or in this case a collection of films by a single director and we always guarantee at least one first watch per repo nerd and I mean per repo nerd there are two they can't do this alone on the other side of the world well actually not even that far a few hours away from a by train in Charleston, West Virginia please welcome to the show author and blogger and podcaster Steve Wadley. Welcome to Repo Nerd, sir. Well, hello, Elizabeth. It's nice to be here. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. Getting up, getting my groove on here. My morbid angel, by the there way. This is Rapture, if you didn't know what that was. Mm, nice. Tonight, tonight we are talking about, we had, an, on May 7th, was an important day, Steve, was it not? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, that was the announcement for the Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness. And I gave my theme, which is of That's the Kings and the Masters. 
since it's starting to be a, a, a season devoted to the three kings in particular, Clive Barker, Mick Garris, and Stephen King. So we're going to follow those guys That's in good. their movie adaptations, but that also is supplemented with some of the Masters of Horror. So the Masters of Horror list is people that attend Mick Garris' dinners or produce the, um, one of his anthology episodes. And um, there'll be points for that. We don't even listen to that episode when I learn about the madness. But during that episode, one of those people on the Masters of Horror list is Brian Trenchard-Smith, an English-Australian director. Right. He has been directing for 40 years and is one of those directors when you need something shot quick and on the cheap and look pretty good, you hire this dude. And believe me, you've seen one of his films, even if you don't know it, because everybody has. Now, uh... I love the interview. We're going to play that at the in a little while. At the end of this broadcast, we're going to play that. First, Stephen and I are going to talk a little bit about the movies we watched. I am particularly going to concentrate on the horror titles I watched. And Dead End Drive-In, uh, Le- Leprechaun 3, and Night of the Demon 2. So hey, what are some of the films you think going to talk about? Well, I actually was really interested. Uh, the Man from Hong Kong that got me originally hooked on uh, the stunt aspect of things I wanted to dive into because I was already more familiar with the horror stuff. So I wanted to talk about Death Cheaters a little bit. And uh, I also thought maybe I could just bounce off of your horror talk and hear some of your th- your thoughts on the uh, especially Leprechaun 3 watch. Oh, excellent. Uh, but first, let's talk about we have some house cleaning to do, Steve. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, mm-hmm. I know that you just came back from a really fun concert last night. So what do you have to report? Oh, my gosh. It was so much fun. We went to Columbus, Ohio uh, to see the mighty L7 who just put out their first record in 18 years, um, which is uh, Scatter the Rats. So look for it. It is awesome. They were fantastic. And the opening band I have to give a shout-out to as well, La Butcherette. Check them out. Um, They apparently have worked with Omar Rodriguez-Lopez from At the Drive-In and Mars Volta. But uh, great show, great energy. My only complaint was... Uh, every other date seemed to have sold out, but there should have been a lot more people out there. So where were you at last night, Columbus? But uh, great show. Great time. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I got a couple of things to talk about myself. Um, um, right. As you know, you might have known that I was in a movie. I kind of tell people about it, this movie. <laughs> called the SP2. I did. Beat the Rage, yeah. right? And I've been talking about it for right. a while. Well, it is a officially released. People can All see right. it. So yeah, Ooh, we can watch the SP2. And All that I'm music. so excited. I am so excited because not only can you buy it on Vimeo and I'm get a really nice file of it, you can also buy it or stream it on Amazon Prime. So if you have an Amazon Prime account, watch that shit for free. For free, and uh, I do, free. and I will. Do not see looks. See looks. It is so delightful. Anyway, I'm excited. And by the way, Jason Trost um, sent me a mail, a signed poster. 
a Blu-ray was signed, and it was wrapped in a map of the FC. Which, you know, if you watch the top of the sequel, you'll see the map, and you'll understand what it is. Awesome. Very cool. It's really cool. And what? I'm gonna. I, I don't know if it's gonna be watching. Excellent. Right out of fact, I want to tell you right now, as we speak, my evil genius is watching the FP2 for the first time. Awesome. So, yeah. So, also, uh, Jason Trost has a contest for a t-shirt. Uh, if you want it, go to his page uh, and, like, share and post a review on Amazon Prime, and you'll be entered in for I love FP2, I love FP t-shirt. So, do that. Uh, awesome. Okay. So, yay. So, I'm very excited. So, not only is this Brian Hunter Smith thing, which was amazing, but to have a movie come out this month. It's been kind of, you know, even with all, I told you about, I'm not going to get into my air, but yeah, I told you about my day dog. Shh, my day Right. This stuff has been kind of balancing it out because my, my movie life sure. has been kicking some ass. <laughs> yeah, it's been Just really kicking. nice. Uh, and, and I mean, you're writing. I noticed that your your uh, magazine's doing well. Yes, we are. Yeah, I've been I've been uh, just taking on more writing, more. I the Jen Wexler interview went really well and got some good feedback on that. So it seems like all together, I'd say we are definitely kicking ass. So forget that day job bull, bullshit. And I finally saw the Ranger in its entirety, which was something that eluded me for several film festivals. They just never lined up. I'd be at, I was at three separate film festivals where the Ranger was playing and because of the way things lined up and after I watched like five minutes here, ten minutes there and I missed one of one completely but it was here. So I finally got to see the Ranger. Have you watched it yet? I'm assuming you have since you oh. interviewed her. I should... Oh yeah, I did a review for yeah. it as well. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I had a screener of it. That was um so it was uh, I had seen it a couple times on um, the screener only worked on my laptop but boy when I finally got to see it and it was after I had reviewed it and I liked it and then I got to see it on my flat screen and of course unlike the screener on my laptop the soundtrack and the music was much louder and visceral and I was like oh shit yeah this is this just went up from like uh, for me to almost a perfectly executed just great time so i i really liked it um i it's got it seems to be getting positive feedback but for me glass eye picks is in larry fessenden and uh just even getting to talk to jim wexler was it was definitely the uh coolest thing uh and right on top of that getting to sit in and and even uh, fumble my way through a question with brian Chinger smith um it was funny by the time you tossed the mic to me. I was so caught up in listening to him. I was like, oh, shit, I just got tossed the mic. But even that, those two things happening right together, is just, it's just been great. So, you know. Yeah, and the movie is, is recommendable from both of us. So we're not doing a full recommend segment tonight. But if we were going to recommend something now, I'd say watch the watch the uh, Shutter. Now stick with it. I had a little bit of issue with the characters in the first 20 minutes of the movie. I didn't know if I was going to hook up, yeah. but once the movie gets rolling, it doesn't stop. It builds this momentum that just keeps going, and it is it is a lot of fun. I, I, I like it a lot better. It's similar to, I think it has a similar vibe as Revenge, but I think it's a lot more fun. 
mean, it's a lot oh, yeah. more yeah, violent. That's right. It I is mean, it's similar like, to that. That's true. Yeah. So, uh, but um, so watch the watch, which is both, by the way, women directing horror films, which is awesome. Uh, but uh, leading so, the way. Uh, yeah. Leading yeah, the way. Yeah, we are. Yeah, so it's awesome. So yeah, watch the Ranger. And of course, CFP, which is a huge recommend for me. Even yeah. if I wasn't in the movie, I would still be recommending the FP2. This one would up. Because I would be like, oh my God, a sequel's coming out. I got to see it. That's how I would be. <laughs> but, but I'm still like that. And I'm in the damn And I'm in the scene a lot. Oh my God. I am on it like a lot. I haven't actually gone to the time stuff to see where I'm in in the movie. I'll be like, uh, but I do die. I have a death scene. Look oh. for that. Uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, it's really fast. Boom, I'm dead. But, oh, my God. Yeah, I'm part, of a, I'm part of a montage, which is, like, the best because, you know, everyone wants to be part of a montage. Yeah. Oh, man, that's, yeah, that's a bucket list. Got to be part of yeah, a montage. Yeah, so let me know, and believe me, if I get bad reviews, I can handle it. But this kind of film, it's not going to matter to me. Just drink three beers before you watch it, though. Okay. So, yeah. anything else do you have to report, Steve? No, no, not good to go. All right, one final report, and it's still horror since we're talking. I'm going to be talking a lot of horror tonight. I saw us finally. Mm. So, what you did know, you us. finally say that again? Us, us. Oh, us. I know. Oh, what did you think? What did you think? I loved it until the last ten minutes, but. Now that I've been sitting on it, but now that I've been sitting on it, I actually am appreciating the last 10 minutes a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a thinker, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's definitely it's one really, that will really, really good. It stuck with me for yeah. a while. I mean, I was thinking about that movie probably a week out. I mean, the only other thing that's been doing that to me recently was one of the episodes of What We Do in the Shadows and, of course, the finale of Game of Thrones has been so on my mind lately. I'm saving oh that my for gosh. the podcast. Oh my God. I, you know, what, what we do in the shadows is so good. Uh, <laughs> it is. It is. And every episode, if the first couple episodes I wasn't so like enamored with it, I'm like, it's okay. But the, the Energy Vampire episode is so gold. And then it just keeps going. Oh my God. Like, it gets better. And, and, and I just yeah. can't believe how good the show is. So I, I actually need to watch last night's episode. So I guess. I do too. That's the only one I haven't seen. Yeah, so it's it gets an official like first run like we try to we try to watch some things first run like I watch Game of Thrones first run, uh, but uh, yeah. you know it gets the rare allowed to be first run in the household moniker. So you know it's awesome. So this house is very very select on its on its TV, uh, <laughs> which is what are we gonna do? Yeah, no more hard. high fantasy on so there is, there is, and, and, and it takes a lot for me to commit to things I even like. Like, I actually adored Justified and got through one and a half seasons. Right. That's it. No, I understand. And that show I'm was amazing. And Walter Goggins and Timothy Oliphant, oh my God, you know, it's so oh, good. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, it's it, great. It's, no. it's fun. 
But I didn't you know, watch I'm it. I'm like you yeah. with a lot of these shows. I'll get the vibe if I, you know, and then I'm like, well, I've seen that. And I kind of understand, but it's so hard to stick. And I, I'm just much more of a film guy. Like I try to get through a lot of these shows, but it, like, like you, I find it. I don't, and I always gravitate toward movies if I'm picking something to watch. A lot me, me too. I, I mean, even though I do like the, the you know, like a half hour binge party, like going to like, oh, like yeah. Glow, for example, kind of like that. Oh, yeah. I can sit there and bust through a yeah. bunch of those, right? But, you know, like, oh, like yeah. the Twin Peaks thing is, Twin Peaks is really hard to binge, just so you know. Trying yeah. to binge Twin oh, Peaks yeah. has been very, very difficult. And you think I'd make more yeah, sense? I, I thought back, about back, that. Back, back, you know, together like that like uh like you know i mean i waited 25 years before a third season <laughs> i mean so, i know it's, i, mean, I okay. can't imagine i'm still that. working on it and it's, when i'm ready to really truly sit down and review twin peaks i will take your time i'm taking need my time break, to take a break. well i needed to do it for the brian trencher smith video interview because all of a sudden i had to drop everything and suddenly deep dive Right, so, uh, right. you know, research right. the shit out of that, which is why we do decided to do a Reaper episode and repeat the interview because right. the interview is worth repeating and the interview is worth repeating. Yes, it is. Uh, and and yes. maybe I'll get a rondo for it because it's so good. Who knows? We're going to run it on uh, to 25 years later as well, which uh, we, you and I talked about. Uh, I just thought I'd announce that here since, uh, as Yay. well. So we're going to run a print edition of it. So. you know, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, R-rated or anything like that. 
So when they let me rent that, uh, it just makes sense. I guess it was heavily advertised. It even wound up in my 10-year-old hands. Well, it's not actually that bad. My daughter's nine, and I would allow her to see this. So I, I didn't think it was that terrible. It, was, it had gore moments, and that was good. This was my first watch, by the way. I had never seen this before. Uh, I actually have never seen a Leprechaun movie all the way from getting to end until I saw this one. This is actually my first real full-length Leprechaun movie. I watched pieces. like I've seen like a, I caught a piece of the one in space, which is also Brian Trenton. Uh, I caught that yeah. one a, a couple of weeks ago. I was flipping channels, and you know it happened to be on broadcast. I was like, okay, I'll watch it for a few minutes. Um, sure. I watched, I don't know which which one it is, but the scene I always seem to catch is that he's at a bar, and the guy tricks him into getting drunk, and that's as far. That's the only scene I, uh, uh, you know, I've caught that a couple of times. They've even made a meme out of it. I made a meme out of that shot of him looking up. The, the whiskey barrel and it's empty. I don't know which, is which one it is. One? It's either the first or the second one. I don't know. It might be. It might the two be. Is I, I, two is very dirty. Two is very dirty. Two is naughty. I just remember it being very heavy on the TNA, like, and and I just, oh. yeah, I just remember it being very naughty. And then three went kind of a day. I don't remember three being that. I remember the robot in three, like, more than anything. There's like, one uh, set like, of boobs in three, and that's it. Yeah, and it turns into a robot and then electrocutes the guy. It's really weird. Right. Um, yeah, I remember that. I love that. <laughs> our our, our um, our uh, woman, our, our our women protagonist, does strip down to her bra, but she doesn't actually show her boobs. And uh, I think so it, Carolyn Williams from uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, like uh, was in that, and the stepfather too. She was in in the second one, and uh, there was a there was a whole. It was a lot. I remember the second one was a lot. Was the probably like I haven't seen the later ones like in the hood or in space, but. Uh, Two was I remember being a lot grislier, and uh, they they try. I think they just tried to make it like uh, slasher esque, you know. And then it seemed like Trinchard uh, uh, Smith came along, and he added this uh, three works because it just you know it knew what it was, and it had a wink wink kind of vibe. I well, think, and, and, it, and it straddles that line kind of perfectly because even though he's making jokes. And they're kind of severe jokes. Like sometimes it's like, geez, you know, uh, you know, occasionally like, yeah. roll your eyes, but it's like a couple of them are like, dude, that's kind of dark. Like I like it. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. it's not it's not played like, ah, you know, it 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 is it, actually considering what kind of performance it is. I give Warwick Davis a lot of restraint and e for effort for holding back because you could oh. easily just go falls to the wall with that character and he's really not he actually kind of like he's playing him like he's a real person you know and not a right. caricature yeah, yeah. and i kind of like that I, I i i liked his performance as a leprechaun I, it could have easily been like oh i am doing this because i used to do that you know no i didn't want that you know right. i love leprechaun. Well, I that's why the new I'm, one doesn't work new one doesn't work uh, when they brought it yeah, no Warwick. He's he's no Warwick. He's not in the new one. Yeah, the new one, they, they made a big deal. Yeah, 
Yeah, they made a big deal about the new one this year uh, during St. Patrick's Day, um, and it uh, was direct to, to you know to screens, and it just it didn't have Warwick Davis in it, and it I, I literally think uh, I I think I got maybe one scene watching this guy do it, and I was sort of like, okay, this is it's exactly what you're describing Warwick Davis not doing, so I just turned it off. <laughs> Well, I'll, I I don't know if I'm going to revisit any of the others. I had to watch this one because it was Brian Francis Smith, and he also did um, Night of the Demons 2, which, of course, Night of the Demons, especially for you folks out in Carlton, West Virginia, and the Ohio Valley area, it's pretty much your holy grail out there. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yes, you know, is. that movie... You know, people love that because that's a Midwest movie through and through, and it, it's you know, and it is, and so here comes Brian Trenchard Smith, who's not Midwest at all. I just got a, 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 a I've been told 24 minutes into the movie, I am seen. Oh, 24 oh. minutes in, market you know, people. <laughs> my evil down. Yeah, about 24 <laughs> minutes. Um, um, that might not awesome. be an exact time because it's the evil genius, but you know, it, it's close enough. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so where were we? So, Brian Trenchard Smith has come in to direct the sequel, and we're talking yeah. 10 years later, right? Like 90s. Right. So, you know, yeah. so, uh, uh, what, and what's her, oh my goodness, hold on just a second. I got to call up the IMDb thing because I just saw, oh yeah, it, Amelia Kincaid, I just saw her at Crypticon Seattle this, this May. So that was kind of cool. Oh, cool. And, and so, um, so that was kind of, and I, I actually recaught some of the original while I was there. Which was kind of funny. So I, you know, so I was prepared to watch this one, and, and so I'm watching it. I watched the first one. And I'm watching it, and I've watched a bunch of Brian Trenchard Smith movies, right? So I'm watching it, right. and I'm like looking at Brian Trenchard Smith because I didn't actually watch this until well, I watched this right before the interview, and it's funny because he takes every trope I've ever seen in every horror film that ever existed, right? He just throws them in there and just hits puree, and he did that. But he, that's exactly what he did. Like, like every shot in that movie, I have seen in another film. You know what I'm saying? Like nothing right. looks original. And well, there is even some reused footage from the first movie. Amelia Kincaid, they're using some regurgitated film. Um, but true. yet, because it's Brian Trenchard Smith, and once again knows that he can stretch a dollar. And I love directors that can stretch a dollar, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, his movie makes a lot of sense. It's actually a rather fun film. There's some absolutely absurd things that happen in the movie. Uh, my, the, 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 my favorite thing, I think, and I probably would agree, is the, uh, the, the, the possessed uh, lipstick. Oh, yeah. That's the like, best. The possessed I, lipstick. I, and it's, Yeah, so great. At first, I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but then I was like, oh, okay, I'm okay with it. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> I'm okay with it. So, yeah. you know, and then, of course, we get to see Amelia Kincaid even 10 years later knowing how to fucking dance. So, that's right that's after right. it. So, 
So that, you know, that's kind of a highlight in there. Yeah, I know. You know, even though I still think the original dance in the first movie is way better. Like, and it's more sexy. Like, like that, that dress, that, that dance is like, it's fully, like this dance was like, I'm a stripper and I'm hot and I can do all these cool moves. Right. The dance in the first movie was like visceral and guttural and really unnerving. Right. And sexy at the same time. You know, so, uh, you know, so it was a very different vibe that way. Um, right. Did it need a sequel? Did the original need a sequel? And the answer is yes, it did need a sequel. I actually do. In this case, I do think it did because the kind of film it would. Nowadays, it would have gotten a sequel even if it didn't do that well, which it did amazing. That's right. It, um, you know, it did really, it was actually the number one independent film that year. It came out. Um, so, uh, but it, it would definitely still have had a sequel. So, you know, it is the kind oh, of movie yeah. you want to have a sequel. So, you know, and, 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 and so that was kind of fun. And he said he's rather proud of that movie. And I can see why, because he was like, I'm just going to do everything I've ever seen, put it against the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it did. Most of it does. It works way better than the third one. I mean, it really does. I mean, it works way better than the next installment. And, you know, I remember that movie quite fondly. And you're right, those movies are really popular here. And I never really thought of it until you said that. But those people love Night of the Demons here. They really do. And when I saw Linnea Quigley, uh, when I met her here at Chaka Khan, um, there was, I was, you know, my main memory, of course, was trash from Return of the Living Dead, and that's what I wanted to talk to her about. And but there were so many people that were there that wanted to talk about, you know, the lipstick thing and Night of the Living. I mean, I'm sorry, Night of the Demons, and and that's when I kind of realized, man, that movie really does have a much bigger cult following than I thought. Huge. Oh no, it, it has a huge cult following. Night of the Demon, um, it, like I said, it was the number one film that came out that year. Um, in the independent market, yeah. which in you know in Midwest, a film shot with Midwest money. The only other film I can think that oh, yeah. even got close to doing something like that might have been the first Evil Dead movie, but it was actually shot in Tennessee, even if it had Midwest money. You know, well, so that's, uh, that's it. The comparison <laughs> is that what when you said that, like I was just thinking about how I kind of laughed at myself and said, you know, Night of Demon feels kind of like. Our and I mean this with all due respect, like uh, like a lower rent uh, kind of uh, Evil Dead in a way. Like it it has a lot. I feel like it has a lot of that same kind of attitude or feel to it. You know, I don't know if stylistically it's similar, but it seems to maybe draw people in for the same reasons. It's got a great, just simple story. You know that you can just kind of reboot and retell over and over like you know the same way the evil dead films you can do you know people show up at this house this girl has a party and it's not gonna go well for you so uh, no. it, it works well, you know? we like those simple folklore stories and clearly San Rami had seen Night of the Demons and it's a good film because it's a, if you watch Army of Darkness there is an exact shot Night of the Demons in that movie. Uh, it's right in where the uh, where they're in the windmill, and he's about to fight the little guys. He breaks the mirror, and when he looks over the mirror, and he sees all the different reflections of his face. That's a direct shout out to Night of the Demons. Oh yeah, the first movie. 
Uh, so, uh, you know, so right. clearly, Raimi was watching this movie as well first run. So, you know, I told you that I was going to convert your viewpoint of Army of Darkness. Remember when I said that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my first seed to convert you into Army of Dark to, to show you that it's a better film than you think it is. Okay. That's good. And then I, I do like that. That's cool. I thought of that in my head. That's a good scene too. Yeah. No. There, there's so much. There's there was there's Easter eggs in Army of Darkness before they even had the word. But that's another show. But I wanted to show you. Yeah. Just go back and you'll see. It's the exact shot. You know, in the movie, it's a bunch of it's the the, the party goers looking down at the broken mirror. In Army of Darkness, it's just him, and of course, when he walks away, I'm the little guy. Oh, yeah, totally. That becomes Ray Harryhausen and Gulliver's Travels. That's another thing, too. Anyway, yeah, I don't care if you don't like it. I fucking love it. Anyway, I like Dying of the Demons, too. I would definitely think that it would be like a great like Halloween party movie for sure. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, you know, it, 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 it is definitely entertaining. Uh, I actually kind of wish it had a higher body count in some ways, and that doesn't sound I do weird. But it doesn't really have that high of a body count if you think about it. Uh, you know, but, it doesn't. But it's, it does have a lot of demon possession. That's always fun. Uh, you know. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Anything else the you want to talk about? The scary. Um, oh. And they, they I, are, and and, and they're gross. gory, yeah. and they're close up, and and here's Brian Trencher yeah. Smith, and we're, we're going to talk about Death Cheaters because he's an action director. He knows a lot about cut timing, so he's very good right. at being able to jump scare you, and mi- you'll miss the timing. You know, and that's good because he he like most oh, yeah. people jump you on the two or the three, and he'll jump you on the five or the one, you know, <laughs> or something like that. You know, something that you're like, why hasn't, ah, you know, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> scary, it doesn't happen yet. Uh, and then he changes. Just when you feel safe. Changes, yeah. And then he changes the tone of the film and it becomes something completely different, which all his films do that. Even Night of the Demons went from being in one house to a completely different kind of party of slasher movie in the second house. Uh, so, I you know, know it, it's, it's, it's how it goes. It's which is one you're going to talk about really quickly no exception. If you're ready, talk about it. Are you ready? Sorry, I lost you there. I said I am throwing it out to you and Death Cheaters, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of it because he's also known as an action director. And I was going to say, it also does one of those weird flippy things where it changes tone in the mid-movie. Yeah, which I love. That's uh, Which uh, Death Cheaters... That's uh, one of my favorite things about it is the whole movie within within the movie plot. And what's, uh, I think, the stunt guys, and just, you know, in much the way that, uh, you know, Tarantino uses um, a kind of propped up Zoe Bell, um, it's what a remote, I guess, is um, Grant Pack, I think is his name. And uh, he was the stunt guy, if I'm correct. And he, hey, Grant uh, Page. Was, Grant he's Page. In, oh, yeah, Grant Page. I'm sorry. Not, I'm sorry. Grant yeah. Page. But, uh, yeah, and Death Teeters, it's just these two guys, and really, I mean, 
the the plot is inconsequential in a lot of these movies and when when i even think back at them and 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 also i don't mean that in any disrespect either when i even think back to stuff like uh, the man from hong kong or any or death cheaters any of the stuff stunt even stunt rock or you know dead in driving sticks with me a little more but i just i always get caught up in the sequences i mean death cheaters is just sequence after sequence after sequence and I and I thought, you know, I just cannot believe that I, I I do think it's kind of sad when I watch his movies that he his films aren't more preserved and are a little bit, you know, what I mean. They're a little scattered and hard to find, and and uh, um, um, you know, not that hard to find. But I just there's so much influence here that. Uh, um, it's just crazy to me, especially in action, um, uh, action blockbusters from the nineties in America and forward took such a cue from what he was doing. I feel like uh, he, 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 I think people were looking, watching his movies and, and definitely learning because, you know, no one photographs his car chase better than Brian Trenchard Smith or an explosion. Uh, and, uh, you know, Dead End Driving has some amazing fucking stunts in it. I mean, really, really good. And you look at this stuff. Yeah, yeah no, the, the plots are almost inconsequential. It's really about the spectacle of it all for a lot of his action posters, especially like The Man from Hong Kong. It's all action. And it's not pretty. It's not like you're watching a Bruce Lee movie. It's like you're watching... You're, it's like if Bruce Lee if enters a dragon... Didn't have Bruce Lee and John Saxon played every part. <laughs> you know, right, exactly. That's kind of how it is. Uh, you know. Yeah. So yeah. That's a good description, actually. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so. Because uh, it's ugly. It is. Know. It's very. It is ugly. Yeah. No. It's brutal. It's not pretty. But it gets the job done. And that's actually, I would yeah. say that most Brian Trenchard Smith. He's like. He's like, I, you know, one of my favorite. I'm gonna go sports on you. Sorry, Steve, but um, I used to be a huge A's fan, and every, and I was there for the Bash Brother era with Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. I used to go all the time and watch those guys hit the right. park, not knowing, of course, they're shooting up everything under the sun to do it. But you know, it's the <laughs> time, right? right. They were my favorite player. My favorite player was Harold Baines, who was also on the lineup. Harold Baines wasn't as flashy as those boys, and he always got on base every single time. Got on base, and guess what? He always made it in. Every he time. always or, or, or if he was a sweet person, he'd bring everybody in every time. And he was just reliable, always there. Not necessarily pretty, but if you needed to get the job done, Harold Baines was your boy. And he's in the uh, he did last year was finally inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Well deserved, yay. Um, so, uh, you know, he's the, he's the, he was a utility infielder, you know, and that's kind of, you know, he's a utility infielder of, of directing. That's Brian Tenford. <laughs> you know, so he's, he, yeah. he, he can do it all and he can do it all. And he has done it all. And, I mean, even kids films, they've got two really decent kids films under his belt with BMX Bandits, which launched Nicole Kidman's career, right? And then you had That's right. um, That's right. uh, Henry Thomas, which we talked about briefly in the quest in the interview here we talked about it and Henry Thomas the quest right after E. T. So he was at the height of his kid career when and when he was working with them. So I mean there's That's some true. serious 
serious cred there, working with some of the most famous people on the planet. And, he, you know, uh, and of course, he's on the Masters of Horror list Mick Garrett, with Mick Garrett. And uh, I was right. so honored to interview him. And he'll be part of the madness. So if you watch his movies during the madness, you'll get extra points. And, uh, you know, I'll leave Lepicon 4 for excuse to watch that. him. Yeah, I can say oh, less yeah. Lepicon 4 for that one. You know, <laughs> so that's true. Um, yeah, that's true. So talk really quick about Death Eaters, and then I think we're gonna go ahead and and uh, we're gonna uh, play a quick uh, trailer, and then we'll go right into the interview. So okay. Uh, well, uh, Death Eaters basically, um, like I said, is just um, a series of showcases to highlight stunt work. But you've got uh, these uh, two guys. And it's Grant Page and I think John Hargraves, I think is his name. And oh, yeah, they right. play two. Yeah. And uh, they get approached, and it, much, and it, and it reminded me a lot of his other um, Austra- his Australian films, to where there is a corporate baddie. Um, um, he, uh, you know, Brian Trenchard Smith, and especially after talking to him, uh, I'm sorry, really just listening to you talk to him uh, and hanging out, uh, I got to hear him speak. And then after seeing his films, uh, he definitely turned his nose up. To the ruling class in Australia uh, or wherever, uh-huh. he's not a fan of the elite. So that is in Death Cheaters, and this this guy, this shadowy figure who kind of runs everything, uh, is this multi. Uh, he I think he's a, like a food guy, tycoon. You know, one of these guys has kind of got his fingers in a lot of different pies, and he hires these guys who are kind of um, I don't know, maybe privatized private eye slash bounty hunters in a way, I guess, uh, to go on this crazy adventure. Uh, and it just kind of goes from there and gives them excuse after excuse to get in these death-defined situations, which he, I'm sure, did completely without a net, which makes it that much more nail-biting to watch. Well, isn't, is that the one where the, where, where Brian Trenchard Smith did his own fire stunt? It might have been. One of them, it, it was either that or Van for they, they he runs down a hill, uh, like on fire down a hill. Ah! Oh yeah, that's it. That's yeah, that's death cheaters. Yeah, yeah, that's Brian Trencher Smith did that. That's his own set. He did that himself. Oh, I did not know that. I did not yeah. know that. That's crazy. Did he tell us that? Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, I, I heard it. In the, I heard it in another uh, another interview I listened to. So. Oh my gosh! I, I have to watch this again right away. Yeah. <laughs> and in the man fire. from Hong Kong, there's the fire instance too at the end when they have uh, uh, something about when George Lazenby was set on fire at the end. Uh, he, you see the stuntman trying to get the coat off because it was not supposed to light up that way. So that guy's yeah. they kept the take of that guy basically on fire. So yeah, that's that's insane. I did not know that. It's it's pretty cool. Supposedly he has some kind of makeup on, and so it really lights up. You know, like ah! <laughs> it looks a lot worse than it is. <laughs> but anyway, what a oh my God, man. you know. Well, you know, uh, those stunt guys, I've always think they're underappreciated, and you know, and first oh, yeah. of all, they have someone that photographs. 
Yeah, they, they did, absolutely. Like, Grant Page would have had an Oscar right now if, if there was such thing as a coordinator. Definitely Kane Hodder would have one by now. And, you know, the oh, idea yeah. of these guys working their lives, work their whole lives doing death-defying things for entertainment value that, you know, just so people can watch it on television and they light themselves on fire and stuff and we don't even acknowledge the coordination it takes to set up something like that. I don't get it. Nothing. You know? We do nothing for it. No. But they want to do it. Yeah. There's a set of awards. I have seen them. I actually saw the ceremony once on TV. Uh, there is a sense of awards, and the money for that organization goes into helping families who have some people have accidents, and, and that's cool. Uh, but that's really it. That's, that's the, very They have cool. their own little self-contained awards ceremony, but they don't get any other, you know, it's like a guild, like any other guild, you know, but they don't get any other major acknowledgments by any of the major awards, including Ampest. How crazy is that? Ampis is just out to lunch. The old fogies, you know, they're holding on to dear life. We we really want to bring this whole system down with us. And then there's a bunch of people calling, we're trying to bring this into the 21st century, you ass munches. Legacy, legacy. And they don't (laughs) care about their legacy. You know, anyway, there's the constant struggle up there. So, Shane Cotter's in the middle. A nice impact. Brian Trencher Smith is in the middle, and Brian Trencher Smith will never win an Oscar, but that doesn't matter. You do it in spades. Yeah, doesn't matter. No, doesn't matter. So, all, all right, Steve, we have talked forty-five minutes. We're gonna let I'm gonna let yeah. you go for the night in a few minutes. So stay on the line though, because I'm gonna talk to you right off there. We're gonna I'm gonna hit the mute button and talk to you for a few minutes. But okay. we are going to play the video, the, the interview we did, which was awesome. We did this interview on May 7th, yes. right? And then, you know, even though you blanked out at one point, it was funny, and you'll hear that, <laughs> everything's there. We also had sound problems, like really bad ones. Like, I kept getting dropped out. And uh, so you'll hear me being all freaked out at the top of the interview. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty good interview. It worked out, um, Yeah, and he's he was a great freaking interviewer. I mean, interview person. Uh, so nice. Oh, my God. It was so great, so wonderful. Uh, so, folks, uh, this is only 54 minutes, so it's, it's not quite an hour, and I'll be back at the bottom end just to sign out for the night and play. I'm going to play for Steve L7's kind of nine tails for him on the outro. All right. The uh, in honor yeah. of your concert. Uh, but first, play the uh, interview, and Steve, are you going to join us for our summer preview on the 28th? Yes, I am. Excellent. So we'll see this you Looking on the which is that's uh two was it that's next week, right? Yeah. Yeah, next week. Yeah, That'll next be my week. birthday. Next week. Birthday. Yeah, yeah, it's the day after my birthday. It's the day after your birthday. Oh, so you have your birthday on uh, Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day birthday. That's right. I don't have to work. Yeah, it's cool. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, you know, so there's a bunch of stuff on Memorial Day, and we'll talk about reviews and stuff like that, but we're going to have a bunch of previews. And, of course, uh, you know, we got a lot of things. Cut. I mean, the 31st is going to go up there. So the summer is starting with a bang, the system. And, I mean, a ginormous kaiju-sized bang. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. Bang. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I, I can't wait. I've got. I can't wait to tell you the review on that one. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, so. I'm so excited. But anyway, 
All right. So thank you, Steve, for coming on the show tonight, and uh, I'll see you next week. Hold on the line, Bye. right there. And I, all right. And for folks listening in, if uh, you're leaving us tonight, I would recommend listening to this interview. It's fantastic. But if not, come back and rejoin us on 28th. If you've already heard this interview, if you haven't, listen to it. 54 minutes of greatness. And I'll be see you for a few minutes on the flip side. See ya. Oh, there we are. Hello, sir. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, is that Elizabeth yes. Gray? Yes, I am. Now, let me ask, because we're having sound problems all of a sudden. We were doing so good, and then decided to just go to pot as soon as you called in. So I do apologize. Um, can the other sexy witches hear me? I can. Hi. Okay. Yeah, I, so I, hi. I, I'm here. I oh. can hear you. Uh, <clears throat> yes, I tried calling the other number, and I just got a recording of your uh, last podcast, I guess. Oh, my goodness. Well, I am now hearing you. Thank you for calling, sir, even if it started a little bit rough. Welcome to the Sexy Witches. My name. Well, thank you, Sexy Witches. I'm very pleased. I'm I'm actually doing something witches would appreciate, uh, which is feeding my deer. Um, And uh, uh, I have, you know... You know, a, a number of uh, uh, of girls that come uh, looking for apples every morning and evening. Oh, uh, they're, hev- they're heavily pregnant, and they will soon be dropping their fawns. And uh, I have become a good restaurant for them. Uh, anyway, just I'm throw out another couple of apple pieces, then I can give you my full attention. Okay. Excellent. Well, let me let me introduce the sexy witches while you're uh, feeding your wonderful fawns and deers coming up. Um, we have with me uh, Steve Wandling. He's a writer for 25 Years Magazine, which is a David Lynch fan magazine, but they also do genre films, and he is my co-host, a frequent nerd. Hello, Steve. Oh, well, hello. I'm pleased to Hi, how are you, sir? <laughs> I am fine. And uh, I trust you are the same. Okay, she's fed. Um, Excellent. Uh, and then the other sexy witch on the line with me is Raven. And her, her moniker is the Enchantress of Nevermore. And uh, she's been Ooh. deep diving a lot of your uh, t- made-for-TV titles. Uh, oh, the for poor girl. Interview. So, uh, <laughs> I <laughs> so have. She calls me the... Mr. Tenser- <laughs> Hi, Hi there. She calls me the Enchantress of Nevermore, but I'm really more like the binge bitch. I will binge um, everything, well, and I had too. a great time watching your stuff, and I'm I'm so happy to talk oh, to you. Which ones did you see? Well, I watched Britannic. Did you see I'm my a lesbian Rambo nerd. movie? So, oh, oh, no. So what have I been doing with my life? <laughs> no, I haven't. I didn't watch that one, and I'm ashamed now. Well, it's called In Her Line of Fire. Um, I, that was Marielle on my list. Hemingway. I didn't make it. Oh yes. Yeah. Look, it's I, great. It's, I will watch it. It's it's not a great work of cinema. It's a great work of shooting something in 14 days in a hurry. Uh, but um, uh, <laughs> but Marielle was great to work with. I I, I loved her. She was a sweetheart. And uh, right. uh, you know it was just it, it was you know one of those things we you know I thought that I would make a little contribution to gay and lesbian cinema. Um, I'd made a gay submarine movie, Tides of War. Though it's when, when they they made the straight version out of it, they called it Phantom Below. I think that would have been a much better gay title. Uh, but uh, yeah. uh, anyway, those were two that I made for the gay and lesbian 
uh, you know, video on demand channel here here TV. Wonderful. And uh, uh, but they were they were both fun to make. Anyway, so which ones did you see? I missed who, which one you saw. Uh, I I personally watched um, Britannic, uh, and right. okay. Yes, uh, actually, I started with Florida melodrama on a doomed ship. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, well, and, I've been and on after, the Queen Mary. Oh, oh yeah. and I watched no, I, I, I watched The Quest. I love Henry Thomas, and I love Henry Thomas every time he's in the eighties and on a bicycle. So um, that already sucked me in from yes. the get-go. Uh, I, um, I think we all I, watched The Quest because I, I loved that yeah. film since I was a kid. I yeah. watched the first run as a kid. So, oh, uh, wow, you saw it in the cinema. Wow. Yes, I did, absolutely. <laughs> I watched anything Henry Thomas was in after he yeah. came for a while. And guess well, what? Yeah. We still are as adults. Yeah. Right. No, well, he, he is right. a... I, I you know, recorded uh, some commentary with him for the Blu-ray. I hope you saw the Blu-ray because then you saw it in the magnificence of its wonderful color photography, which does not is not reflected in the VHS tapes that were just about all anyone could get um, uh, from really the late 90s onwards. Uh, but now the Blu-ray is out, and it's beautifully shot and uh, and and you know, great stereo, and uh, it, it it works. Yeah, quite well for yeah the intended audience. Uh, well, I'm glad you saw it. Yeah, did you see Happy Face Murders? I, I think you know what I was talking. Right? No, I know I, I was looking for it. I couldn't find I couldn't find a copy. But I actually follow um, the daughter of Keith Jep- Jesperson has a podcast, and I've been following her on that. It's called Happy. Um, and then she right. had been on Evil Lives Here on the ID network. So I knew a lot about that story and about the the, fel- the false confession, but I actually haven't seen your um, adaptation oh. of what happened, well, and I'm really interested in watching it. Yeah, I think you can probably download it. I think you just have to Google. You have to go to Amazon and see if you can get it okay. uh, as a, as a uh, two two ninety nine download or something. But it is a... Yeah, a, a, an interesting you know performance from Anne Margaret, and from and frankly, I think it was the the, the gig that got Marg Helgenberger CSI for ten years, um, because it was an yeah, it's an identical character that she played, uh, and uh, I know the CBS brass came to the premiere of it at the Directors Guild, and four months later she was cast. Uh, so that was good. I was happy to have been a helping hand. Not that she probably needed it, but because she had a you know she had a career going quite well beforehand. But uh, it was a good role for her. And uh, and you know, Anne Margaret was just it's great to work with a legend. Uh, and she was a, a, a lovable lady and uh, um, and a really skilled actress um, who said, "I'll be flat in rehearsal." Uh, I work when the cam when, when it's a take, and indeed that uh, that you know proved to be the case. But you are here tonight, probably to talk more about horror, even though there's real horror in uh, Happy Face Murders because it's about a true, you know, uh, a serial killer and uh, and and the investi- the you know the stalled investigation into his murders. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, we'll uh, we talk about anything you would want to talk about. But yeah, on, <laughs> well, but our, our audience is in particular our horror geeks. We have quite a few of them out there. And tonight is was the announcement of my horror mo- contest I do in October 
and this year's theme was called uh, Of the Kings and the Masters. Right. And one of those people is Yusa, because uh, oh, you've well. attended the Masters of Horse dinner and know some of the people, and know McGarris. And so, uh, but we want to talk about all your films. Your action pictures also will count this year for my contest. And so we've been deep diving all sorts of films. Uh, but horror, yes, we in particular, horror films are of great interest to us. And I actually, in the last couple of days, met Amelia Kincaid and rewatched Night of the Demons 2 and, uh, and Night of the Demons. And I know that you have said in other podcasts that Night of the Demons 2, you're in particular, uh, with, you didn't direct the first one, that was Kenny Tenney, but you, Kevin Tenney, but you directed the second one and you're particularly proud of that title. So, uh, yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's it, it, I, I, I kind of relate well to horror comedy. I guess I, I kind of relate well to the ironic side of life in every genre that I tackle. That includes, you know, you know, uh, florid melodrama on a doomed ship uh, like Britannic, or uh, you know, a, a dead end drive-in. Uh, many, you know, many of my titles have. Yeah, I, there's a certain vein of ironic humor that runs through throughout them that was not necessarily in the original uh, script or idea. Um, but anyway, Night of the Demons 2 is, you know, I'm fond of it because the cast was wonderful. I mean, uh, I like, I believe in having a good time when I'm making a film. And it's great when the whole cast and crew gets on board with getting the job done, but having a good time doing it. And all those young people who, you know, none of whom had, 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 you know, broken out in the business were, you know, just anxious to do their very best and, and have a laugh doing it. And uh, so that's why I remember it fondly. And I think it's also, you know, quite a good Catholic joke movie. Uh, yes. And it has some really uh, fun, you know, uh, real prosthetic uh, effects that are quite uh, remarkable by Steve Johnson, uh, and uh, so it, it's it, most of those kind of prosthetic gags now would be done uh, with CGI and be sort of photo real, even though you know it's not real. Um, but the there's just something an old world charm, perhaps, about you know doing these things. With, in, in a practical way rather than with optical illusions. There's only one early CGI shot in Night of the Demons 2, and that's the, the snake that springs out of the lipstick at the very end as the, well, the intended, you know, jump scare <laughs> uh, for the final right. shot, which, you know, uh, we, you know, is a tradition. You know, uh, Carrie set an excellent precedent in that regard, and uh, uh, so so I had a go, but um, it wasn't a very you know, believable snake. But uh, I think we got it for five grand, so I, I guess we were. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. the thing. You you get what you pay for. Um, but uh, anyway, it was a, a a lovely film to make, and uh, I think we had such a good time that uh, a number of people from the cast wanted to just make a guest appearance in my next film, which was Leprechaun 3, Leprechaun in Vegas. So, you know, Merle Kennedy and uh, uh, Zoe Trilling uh, and, you know, um, Christine Taylor and uh, Rod McCary. Uh, and and uh, they all, you know, uh, came and did little cameos. Uh, and uh, particularly, you know, 
uh, Merle and uh, Zoe and Rod Macarius, who came as the priest, so that he is gambling with two floozies on his arm in the in the Vegas casino. Love it. I I yeah I I, I thought that was nice. Uh, so uh, was it, and that too was a fun film to make because everyone was on the same page. You know, we're making mm-hmm. absurdist cinema. Um, let's you know give it our best. Uh, and so many people liked Leprechaun Three you know, for that reason, and uh, maybe better than Leprechaun Four, which was more of a pastiche parody. Um, though yeah. I'm I'm quite fond of it. It's ridiculous. Um, engagingly awful, uh-huh. but deliberately. I'm so, so happy. Um, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> uh, I, I love that. I love that you love it as much as I do. Oh good. Oh, good. I mean, it, it is. You know, it, it's a good movie for sci-fi geeks who appreciate the references and the parody and, and so forth to gather around the, the you know the the wine the six pack. Or, or the bong and uh, watch the film and have a good chortle all the way through. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's, uh, but it's a film that only speaks to a, a more narrow selection of uh, a section of, of leprechaun fans, let's say, than, uh, right. than number three, but that's okay. Um, yeah, but it's, you know, it, we, I recognize the inherent absurdities of it, uh, of the whole concept and, uh, uh, and thought, well, let's add more comedy, and that will, you know, I think that will pay off. And it certainly paid off with number three, but which became the highest-selling director video uh, of, I think, 1995. Um, wow. uh, it was in the boom year of director video. Uh, I think they they mm-hmm. moved 55,000 units. Um, uh, anyway, it's it, it was a fun thing. But in in and one thing about Leprechaun in in, in space. Uh, there is an obligation in these films. You, you have to have a bit of uh, you know, of nudity, you know. That's the the Midwest distrib- video you know, distributors demand it. You know, uh, for this kind of film, you know, it's got to be an R-rated film. It's got to have blood. It's got to have violence, and it's got to have you know um, as many bare-breasted women as you can possibly uh, summon for one movie, uh, but uh, at least one. So it was an obligation to provide a, right. you know, one. So what is the most absurd reason I could think of for uh, a, a woman to undress uh, in, in, on the screen? Um, and so with my writing partner, Dennis Pratt, we came up with the idea that it was, in fact, the, the way on this particular planet you know, that Princess Zarina came from, uh, this was the way royalty pronounced a death sentence by... By, by bearing her breasts, and I, I thought, well, that has, that is the most absurd thing we can think of. I suppose we could put more time into it, and maybe we could think of something even more absurd. But I think that's a pretty good, uh, you know, absurd rationalization for what the Midwest, uh, you know, video distributors want. Uh, and uh, so, anyway, that's a little bit of, you know, inside movie making backstory for you. Um, but I probably sound like a terrible sexist pig. Um, talking about, you know, and, and, you know uh, we're, we're now in a different world in gender relations, which is good. Um, but uh, uh, so, uh, you know, some of my work probably seems a little sort of, uh, you know, uh, re- retrospectively, you know, um, you know retrograde. 
would you well, say? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I've always, like, and I would think that even Ray, Raven and Steve would agree that we try to take the movie on its own terms from when the time it came mm-hmm. out. Uh, we realize right. some things don't age well. Uh, you know, some makeup doesn't age well either sometimes, you know. But uh, but we, we appreciate the films on their own terms, uh, you know. And, and going back to horror in particular, I've noticed even in some of your earlier stuff, some of your action pictures, BMX Bandits, for example, is, an, is a good example. You do use horror tropes even in your non-horror films. You have a yeah. huge sequence in the middle of that movie that's just the cemetery, and you're using old-school slasher shots for that. So I, I can't believe that would be coincidence. Oh, no, no. I mean, I'm a multi-generic. I'm an omnivore. I will consume uh, you know, any genre known to man. Uh, and, and I like putting together genre hybrids, you know, cocktails, yeah. let's say, uh, shaken, not stirred. Uh, and uh, so uh, it was, you know, a, a perfect opportunity. I mean, you can chase the kids on bikes only so long. You better chase them in some other way uh, to maintain the visual interest. So the graveyard and off to the boat shed subsequently before, you know, bikes got back on the streets again. And uh, But... Uh, the, the graveyard was an opportunity to, you know, to, to generate a suspense sequence that would possibly, you know, take in the under tens for sure. Um, in Australia, it had a G rating, which I think was very lucky, but we needed it somehow. I think they, 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 they were kind to us because we were an Australian film. But really, when you know, armed bank robbery, you know, close up of you know, loading shotguns and menacing people with shotguns and menacing Nicole Kidman with a flick knife and <laughs> things like that probably might have got us a PG. It's now rated, it's been re-rated yeah. PG in Australia. Um, but uh, The one I watched uh, today no, was PG. Right, yes. Well, it, it's, it's the same cut. It's the same cut. And then it has not okay. changed since I, I, I did it, finished it. But uh, over the years, you know, people have you know, started to re-rate certain films. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I, my own man from Hong Kong was banned for the under-18s in Australia, and it took, you know, 40 years practically to get it wow. uh, on, even on video uh, down to you know, what, we, what is regarded in, in Australia as MA, which is um, you know, 15s and over. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, but they adamantly wouldn't change it even as times changed and, uh, you know, and, and kung fu movies were getting infinitely more violent uh, than, um, uh, than The Man from Hong Kong. Um, which is, is that one you have seen? I've seen yeah. uh, most of it. Uh, but not for not for this interview, unfortunately. However, I have been reading up on it quite a bit because I know it's one of your better films, and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about it. And uh, the one story that fascinates me the most from that set is the explosion <laughs> that you did uh, in Sydney that they could see 30 miles out. Um, I, I believe it was Man from Hong Kong. Uh, do you yes, want to talk yes. about that a little bit? Oh yes, well I I love to blow things up and or you you, you I will say this now you are my favorite person to photograph explosions. Well, good. I mean I I, I really enjoy it. You know I, I uh, it's uh, there's just something glorious about a good, a good bang. Uh, yeah, provided yeah, everyone you know is unscathed. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> 
well, uh, <clears throat> we had one of the technicians from Apocalypse Now who had done uh, the napalm strikes in the jungle, and that you recall those you know, those amazing wide-angle shots where napalm literally ripples through uh, a whole tropical forest. Um, and uh, he'd done that, and he said, I can put, you know, I can, I can put a petrol cloud onto a building without it leaving a scratch. And uh, I thought, well, what better than the head office of a petroleum company, uh, ESSO, um, the Sydney office of ESSO. We had persuaded them to be our location for the exterior of the uh, master criminal's uh, penthouse. Uh, I don't think they really thought this through carefully, uh, luckily. Um, and uh, so, uh, in, the, in the climax, the you know the safe full of grenades and God knows what else blows up, and I wanted the windows of the penthouse to bl- blow out, and a you know petrol cloud come out of those windows, and then an even bigger one come off the roof. Um, and we went to to Esso and said, well. You know, we can do this absolutely safely, and I think people in 1974, when we shot it, were all caught up in the the excitement of making movies in Australia. For the basically, it hadn't hadn't happened much for a generation, um, and uh, so people were the, the public, the general public, uh, and corporations. Uh, prior to, let's say, you know, the d- degree of, you know, le- le- you know, business affairs and legal that corporations have to deal with these days, they, they said, oh yeah, cool, you, you, you know, we believe you, we, you, you'll, you'll be fine. So, anyway, we laid the mortars on the, um, the small mortars on the 18th floor, and uh, and on on time, we duly blasted those out. Apparently, um, I think there was a small. Yeah, scorch on one window ledge that uh, was eventually removed. But then the big one was to be on the roof, and we had a really big, you know, round drum of, uh, of you know, the appropriate chemical mixture. And the plan was to do this on a Sunday uh, and be done by four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and so we were running a bit late, and it, we probably didn't. Do, we didn't do the big one on the roof till about 4:20 thereabouts, I think. Uh, and uh, what we didn't know was that the fire brigade changed shift at four. And uh, you know, we had notified them of our, uh, you know, going to do that. We were going to do this, and it was all, all, everyone was aware of it at the fire brigade. And there happened to be a fire brigade station right outside, just across the street from the SO building. Uh, so and, and they were just watching the proceedings with great interest. Anyway, it was time to do it, so we did it, and kaboom, it went off, and whoa, it was a much bigger petrol cloud than I thought it was going to be. And um, yeah, it was seen from the Blue Mountains, 30 miles away. Um, traffic stopped on the Harbour Bridge, which was, let's say, you know, about, uh, you know, five or six hundred yards away um, and they watched for a little bit and then they drove on um, the naturally the the fire brigade switchboard lit up like a Christmas tree and uh, within less than two minutes you know there were fire engines screaming down the street 
from both directions to screech to a halt below the building. And what they saw was a whole bunch of firemen sort of, uh, you know, having cups of coffee with us, looking at the disappearing smoke. Uh, and uh, there was a bit of a fuss about that. But, you know, I mean, what can you say? It's Murphy's Law, you see. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and as, as the Australian film industry grew and as I grew as a filmmaker, um, you learned, you know, to, let's say, predict the unpredictable, to, to think, okay, now, are, are there any more implications to what we're about to do that we haven't thought of? Uh, so, but no one would allow me to do that again, I'm quite sure. No one would allow me to, you know, you know to do, put a giant fireball on the roof of, you know, and there was absolutely no, no danger of you know, the roof. Can, you know, we want, you know, concrete and gravel up there and a flat roof. Um, but anyway, it was it was fun, and uh, you know um, there are stories I could tell you about dead end driving and you know, the, and, and the the gunfights and explosions that we did at night in that suburb, which kind of rattled people slightly. <laughs> well, we would probably uh, we'd all probably be in agreement that it's probably our favorite film of yours. I oh, think yeah, so it's because it's about something important. It, yeah, it's but, aging, mm-hmm. even, you right. know how you're talking about your date, some of the datedness of some of your earlier work. I actually think it's aging better and it's actually more relevant right now as we're talking than it was yeah. when you did it in the 80s. You're absolutely right, and I thank you very mm-hmm. much. And I, I thank all those who appear online to share that opinion and, uh, and therefore go on and explore you know, more of my work, uh, uh, most of which will probably disappoint them in some way. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, because, no depends, you know, if you're looking, you're looking for, uh, you know, I think I, I, I got a perfect blend in, in my, my genre cocktail uh, with, uh, you know, with Dead End Drive. And uh, it, it did have a lot of, in my sort of, you know, somewhat, you know, uh, overheated, over-the-top sensibility, uh, and it had a you know a strong visual sense, which I you know I had the 35 days in in order to do that, um, but it, it had an underlying it was an it was a, you know an allegory for anyone who wanted to see it that way embedded in the teen exploitation movie, uh, and it was completely. You know, reviled and ignored uh, in Australia, and no one liked it. They thought it was garish and and socially critical of its target audience. In fact. But it was, and that's what's yeah. brilliant about it. Yeah. Well, I wanted to do that, and uh, uh, I'm I'm lucky to have gotten away with it because no corporation would probably allow me to do that again. But this was not. The corporation that financed it was the New South Wales Film Corporation, a state government instrumentality that raised money and contributed from the state budget for $2.3 million, which was the budget of the the film uh, that I had to work with. Uh, And, yeah, we had a great team, and it's all teamwork, you know. Um, I may be talking about it as if, you know, I painted every... Yeah, uh, every pixel on the screen, let's say. But no, it's a, I, 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 I led the painting, but uh, uh, filmmaking is a collaborative medium. I had a great cinematographer and great stunt coordinator. Uh, and the, the ideal location, that closed drive-in, soon to be demolished. Um, it, uh, I love the gutter putt aesthetic. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. One of my favorite films is Street Trash. 
a film that was shot in New York, has a very similar aesthetic. Even the film that I was in this year, The Beats of Rage, has a bit of a gutter punk aesthetic. So there's a lot of indie filmmakers that are inspired by you because you've always been able to do stuff on the low budget and the quick and uh, still come out with a pretty cohesive narrative and a beautiful aesthetic, especially with that dead end drive-in. And uh, even with the, uh, I know there were tax breaks involved in that era, it still wasn't a lot of money to do a movie like that. No, well, you see, m money is not necessarily what defines, uh, well, money can to a degree define how many shooting days you have or how many shooting days uh, de defines you know the level of visual elegance that the the picture will have uh, so um, so it's it's hard to say i mean i had 41 days on bmx bandits which was a 1.1 million dollar wow. film but uh, most of it was shot well an awful lot of it was shot with a reduced stunt unit um, even though I had the kids for all seven weeks, uh, and but I had them for restricted hours because of their age, um, mm -hmm. so it worked out. There was a way to to actually get the necessary number of of camera hours uh, to to make it you know to to deliver on the level that it needed to, uh, and uh, so when you're down to 15 days or 12 days. And even in 18 days, you know, it's very hard to give it that pizzazz because you can't afford to take that extra half hour to do that really elegant tracking shot and so on and so forth. So that, however, I mean, with, with Dead End Drive-In, it had, it, 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 had, it was about something, it was about something I believed in and I'm you know, something of a, of a cynic about uh, society and, and how it is run. Um, and so it really, it spoke to me. Um, what else have you seen? Oh, horror, more horror. I, I actually, I, I actually I have a question. Ask, okay, go ahead, Raven. And then I want to bring it to Steve. I have him, I want to have him okay. ask Go ahead, Raven. When you said uh, about your opinion on society, I, today I watched, um, forgive me if I say it wrong, Megiddo, Megiddo with Michael oh, York right. you and Udo Kier. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yes. I, okay, How prescient so got, is that? <laughs> How prescient is that? We, we have, Very you know, much so. We, we have, you know, uh, Michael York as, uh, as the orange toad. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it was creepy. It was creepy how right now that is. Um, and, and what a cast. Um, so I was wondering, in all your movies, I've noticed just, I've really, I've been impressed with the casting, but the casting director isn't always the same. So how much of that is you? Well, you I'm I make the, the final choice where I can... But very often, you know, there is a star name that floats the boat. You know, John Cusack uh -huh. floated the boat on Drive Hard. Uh, mm -hmm. And if we could give him a script that he was prepared to do um, in time for his window of opportunity before his, the next picture, I think it was the Cronenberg picture that he did, um, then uh -huh. he would do the movie. So all, you yeah. know, all hands on deck and... Uh, and, and get him that script that he will do, uh, and, but it's got to be shot in 18 days. So, however, the, the star casting was, you know, controlled therefore by the 
the financiers and the, the distributors. Uh-huh. Uh, so in Megiddo, obviously, Michael York was, you know, this was the, the prequel. Um, and uh, it, it was a question of who would be prepared to do it because not everybody right. was in, in love with the idea of doing a Pentecostal uh, epic. Um, but Michael I Bean, really loved it. you know, <laughs> He's perfect. Yeah. He's absolutely perfect. And Arlie Ermey. Uh, oh, my goodness. And Lee Ermey. I well, that, more that's Arlie my choice, Ermey. obviously. Yeah, yeah I, I, I felt yeah, look, it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, no, he, I, 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 I love Lee, and he was you know, a great man. And I'm, I'm so pleased yeah. to have you know, made you know, a couple of films with him. Um, but, right. uh, but Megiddo has, you know, it, has a, a, it, it really is a good black comedy if you – if yeah. you look at it in, with the right spectacles on. Um, I think I did. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you did. Evidently, you did. Uh, and I, yeah. I'd love to see it get a bit of a resurrection. I mean, the, I don't really know whether the... I, I'm quite sure the Pentecostals are behind Trump. Um, and, uh, but the <laughs> film is... Yeah. They, they've made no attempt to um, uh, re-release the film. It's just strictly right. just something... Video and download. Uh, I'd love to right. you know, see a see a print shown and you know the kind of you know specialty you know retro and art house theaters that uh, occasionally yeah. play. Well, I think it would, you know, oddball things. Indeed, I think it would do well on stage. There's a lot of Macbeth in there, um, and I'm a I'm a yes, theater nerd, is, so I always think about how uh, things would look on stage. I think that would be amazing. Well, myself and my writing partner rewrote the script because, you know, the producers said it, well, it was a long story, but the script they, that, that was going to be financed didn't make a great deal of sense. And we straightened uh-huh. it out by going Shakespearean. Right. And, uh, and it worked. The, the and Michael York it, felt interesting, it. Pa- interesting parallel also in the story about, you know, uh, a young media mogul, well, let's say it's, it, it, you, know, it, it, you know, Michael York uh, was, you know, basically the, you know, a, a <laughs> someone who wanted to get rid of his father. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I certainly got that feeling, um, you know, hanging around that particular, uh, <laughs> that particular church. Um, and uh, right. so, anyway, the, the patriarch is, has moved on, and the son has taken over. Um, but uh, anyway, it was a, uh, it was a, I was well treated by them, and uh, you know they recognized my expertise, and they didn't realize mm-hmm. the film was as campy as it was because I mm-hmm. guess they they saw life in those terms. Maybe I don't know. Right. Um, but uh, anyway, it was it was fun, and I'm glad they poured all that money into it. Um, it's a pity the the beast at the end was you know, a pretty poor PlayStation monster. Um, right. We we were taken taken to the it's not his on fault, that one by. <laughs> not his. He's fault, just a no. dragon. He doesn't know any better. Yeah. Well, Aww. he was re- he was represented by a tall man with a toilet uh-huh. plunger on his head. Um, that was what we shot. <laughs> I love it. Because the toilet plunger would increase his height to the, uh, sure. the height of the beast's face. And that was what Michael Bean had to look at. So his <laughs> eye line had to correct 
in the wider shots where he was there. So we Amen. had a man in a green suit uh, with a, to- a green toilet plunger on his head. <laughs> what fun. Fantastic. So excellent. Mm. Now, I, I wanted to go, I want Steve to take this question, but I wanna, I'm going to give it a little bit of a leeway. And then after Steve does his questions, I want to talk a little bit about Alice through the Multiverse, your most recent project, which is actually a book. Uh, yes. So, uh, but first, my, my good sir, Steve Wandling, and we are talking about dated things, but also some of your films, let's just say, and you've mentioned this before, didn't actually hit when they first came out, let's be honest. I mean, they, they, some of them are like, hmm. one of them in particular, which is one I own on Blu-ray, I love, is Turkey Shoot. Uh, absolutely. There's actually, believe it or not, a pretty hardcore, solid cult fan base for Turkey Shoot in the States. We absolutely adore that movie. Um, Flaws and all. We just love it all. And Steve in particular, and I'm going to have him ask a couple questions about it, for this interview alone, watched it three times in a row. (laughs) Wow, Steve, you're a glutton for punishment. That's amazing. I Uh, did. I did. I'm very pleased. I'm I'm glad it – because aspects of it resonate very strongly today, particularly the first ten minutes. and uh, so, you know, I, you know I, I, I got a lot of shit for making that film when I did. Wow. And uh, Imagine. You know, some people even said, you know, he should be run out of town on a rail, you know. Uh, he should never make another film again. Um, there was outrage because, you know, partly because of the way the film, you know, the producer handled the film. He, he, I guess he, he maybe he wanted to poke the art house community in the eye or something, but he entered it for the Australian Film Institute Awards, um, and uh, you know the, the art-oriented audience of the cultural elite were not, you know, they were not into people being riddled with arrows uh, uh, and exploding heads. Um, uh, right. Yeah, you know, was actually a sort of a gap in their lives, but uh, and. and it, so there was much outrage, uh, and uh, uh, the film did better than than actually people, you know, have have you know, been told it did. Uh, though I I think I've I have told stories of the, the release in England where the distributor sent um, chickens' feet to all the you know, cinema critics uh, prior as a, an inducement to come to the. Uh, the premiere, uh, the press preview, right? uh, and it, because Turkey Shoot was billed in England as no film for chickens, so Chicken's Feet were sent to the, the the cinema critics. But then there was a mail strike, and so the, oh, no. the Chicken's Feet were stalled in the mail for nearly ten days, oh, and right. arrived just before the 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 day before the press preview, I think. Uh, in their putrefying state, and uh, critics, you know, thinking that this is swag, you know, um, you know, opened their little packages and found a rotting chicken's foot. And this kind of got them a little testy. Uh, so they expended many more column inches in their reviews in the British press on the this outrageous film, full of you know, violent, brutal acts, and, and, and even one critic said lesbian rape. And I'm quite sure every London commuter reading his, you know, his evening standard on the way home in the 
tube train or wherever, thought, oh, lesbian rape, oh, I want to see that. Uh, so mm -hmm. the, the, the net effect of the critical outrage was to draw more people to the, the, the cinema, and even though the censor had cut all the good bits, well, some of the, the, some of the more, more extreme bits out of it. Uh, you were lucky. You weren't put on the video nasty list. You were only classified as a two, not a three. So you, you dodged a bullet there. Yeah, it was close. It was close. Uh, but, you know, within a few years, of course, the uncut version is re-released in the UK as Blood Camp Thatcher. Which is a, a great ironic ending to that whole story. Yeah, absolutely. But the result of like the it. critical outrage was that the Warner West End 2, where it opened, uh, you know, had a box office record for the month of February, uh, and, and it opened in a in a snowstorm, and there were queues around the board. Somehow, people get to know in advance something is coming that is tasty, and uh, and certainly, yeah, you know, the Friday, the reviews on the Wednesday, Thursday before it opened on the Friday, um, you know, drew a crowd. Anyway, I'm I did not, I haven't had your question for you. Yeah, see, so. do you still have a question? Uh, I actually, sorry, I was just enjoying listening to stories about it. Um, oh gosh, there, there was a lot there. Um, really, I guess my my question about Turkey Shoot when you when you're making a movie like Turkey Shoot, um, you know, we, we've heard. I, I was research. I watched a lot of the films from the '70s and '80s, and um, I just. There's such a sense of Wild West going on there, and how often uh, on these sets were – did you ever feel like things were kind of maybe spiraling out of control? Because, you know, when I see some of the, the stunts in, you know, Man from Hong Kong or, or Turkey Shoot um, – I just, you know, that would that would never ever happen today. I don't think. And um, uh, so I was wondering about that. If you ever remember any time specifically that anything got out of control, but specifically with Turkey Shoot. Also, uh, the only other question I had was about the uh, just the, the tone of Turkey Shoot. Like, do you think that maybe that has uh, aged? better over time as we were talking as well as like some of your other films with just what it's trying to say and uh, uh, you know where we're at in society now drawing a correlation with that so I know th those are two very vastly different things but uh, th those are the things that well, can pop yeah. up in my head well no I think these are these are very you know cogent points uh, Turkey Shoot has aged well, and when no one believed, you know, they thought it would just, you know, disappear into the dust. I mean, who would want to, you know, how would that be, be seen in 20 years' time? Uh, so uh, that was the, let's say, the arts elite, uh, you know, that was their view. But the people who went to see it in the drive-ins of Australia, um, where, you know, they, you know, this was their cup of tea, let's say. Uh, and similarly in various countries all over the world, and that's why it has its worldwide cult following. And now the politics of the film, which was initially aimed at the Reagan era, uh, supply-side e economics uh, and, you know, right-wing, you know, populism, uh, uh, 
and that was now it's perfectly applicable to the Trump era Um, and uh, you know uh, if they have their way I mean uh, yeah behavior and uh, uh, modification behavior modification and re-education camps uh, are not necessarily uh, uh, out of the question I mean look what's happening in China to you know the uh, the Uyghurs well, uh, and they're about to have a new system where it's going to be a social value system, much like they did on this episode of The Orville I saw recently. So, and on Black Mirror too, where your, uh, you know, your social score on how you uh, interact with people will make your value go up and down as a human being. That's kind of terrifying. That's happening right now. Yeah, I mean that is truly Orwellian, and ultimately, obviously, you know. Uh, the state, you know, you know, controls every aspect of your life because it's better if they control it. They know better than you. You're, uh, so uh, with the rise of authoritarian leaders across the world, uh, this is a society that they, you know, think would, be, would work much better, they think, for everyone concerned, particularly them, um, if it was instituted. I mean, people... You know, I mean, in the old Soviet Union, dissidents were considered to be mentally ill and needed psychiatric treatment in Soviet hospitals, such as being wound in in very tightly in wet sheets and other forms of psychological torture, uh, just to help them see the error of their ways and or the aberrant of aberrants of their thinking. Uh, So, you know. you give people a taste of, of power with, that has no check or balance, then you know, that is what you can expect. You, uh, you, you know, so when you, when you can harness all the wonders of modern technology and put it to the use of you know, an authoritarian government, um, then you know, we're on a slippery slope. And uh, I, you know, I think America is at a yeah, the most crucial uh, stage of its development in its history um, in 2020, where the American public will make a a moral or an immoral choice, and 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 yeah, that will play yeah for yeah that that will be a choice if it's an immoral choice that will be very hard to undo because. Uh, yeah, uh, that the cement will start to harden quite quickly. Anyway, That's I don't want to bring you down, um, but I'm <laughs> okay, now. on a happier note because yes, Alice through the multiverse. Yeah, let us talk about that. Yeah. Wanted, yeah, but but even your political stuff has a lot of escapism, in it, and I wanted to leave that into your book because your book is is actually even though it's got a lot of cool history in it, one of the things I like in particular, it takes place during the reign of Bloody uh, Mary. Tudor, which is, you know, a Tudor family. I'm actually a direct descendant, too, so that kind of thing. Oh, are you? Yeah. Uh, she, had a, she had a bit of a yeah, raw deal, really. I mean, she burned 300 yeah. Protestants. Uh, and uh, 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 hi, darling. I'm, uh, I'm in mid-podcast with well, three yes, very entertaining witches. Uh, anyway, sorry. Hi, darling. That's all right. Your, your book, Alice of the Multiglass, which originally was called The Headmaster's Daughter, 
and then you uh, you up the headsman's daughter. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you're right. The headsman. I'm sure there is a headmaster, a headmaster's daughter too. <laughs> that uh, would that's, be. That's yeah. the porn film we don't talk that's about. That's the porn show, movie right? I need to do. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No. No. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, 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 the headman's daughter, which is about an. The headsman's daughter. Yes. Off with his head. That's all right. I apologize. Yes. Alice through the mouth. That's the book I'm reading right now, Alice through the And it's. I won't get into too much, but it's kind of one of those, uh, like, like, kind of like a slaughterhouse five where there's a dual story happening with one character, and it's kind of centering around that character. But a lot of it is very similar to your movie. There's the act, uh, there, in the first few chapters, there's a, a car chase, a big one. Uh, you've got guns. You've got, you've got science fiction going on. You've got an asylum horror going on. Uh, and a lot of really interesting, fun characters. Even the villains are really fun to read. So I want to talk a little bit about your book. And I know you've been trying to, for the last couple of years, develop it into a screenplay. And, and I was wondering how, what any progress on that was. Well, you see, it actually started as a screenplay. It started as a, 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 a dream I had of a girl running away. For, a, a medieval execution is interrupted by you know, a, a rebellion a girl is running through the forest in uh, a raging thunderstorm that reaches a sort of paroxysm of, uh, of you know, fireworks, and then suddenly she wakes up and she is actually in a 20th century, uh, you know, padded cell. That was the dream, and I built on the dream, uh, you know, uh, every day uh, into uh, as new ideas came to me. Generally, while I lapped the UCLA pool uh, for 45 minutes every day, um, my wife was doing her PhD studies there, and I got access to the UCLA pool. So it, I find I get ideas while I swim. So I built the screenplay on that. It got optioned. Uh, we could not get uh, Clara Knightley or you know, Scarlett Johansson for it eventually financing oh. fell away and uh, so it's it's it, it it lay dormant but it still gnawed my liver so uh, I decided a few years ago I would r- write it as a novel and uh, then I did and then I you know, adapted it in the second edition for it to be better um, and have the you know nice butterfly effect uh, Ending, which you know, uh, I guess, crystallizes my progressive ideas and philosophy. Um, what would America be uh, if certain things had not happened? Um, yeah, and uh, in its formative years. So, um, so I, you know, I, it, it evolved as a, from a, a movie idea to a book, and now I have an agent uh, who is out there this very week starting to pitch it to companies as yeah. a streaming service. And I have written uh, the first, you know, first hour pilot. Uh, and uh, we'll That's see awesome. if, you know, uh, anybody bites. And, and sir, because um, my sound is starting to act up again, can you let my audience know where they can find this book available? Well, I, had, I self-published it. Uh, and so it is on Amazon and Kindle. If you um, you know want to you know uh, spend the princely sum of three dollars and sixteen cents on Kindle, you will uh, you can get it. And if you have Kindle Unlimited, you get it for free because you're paying for access to so many books. Um, and if you 
uh, can you know, take a second job and summon up, summon up the uh, $12 necessary for a paperback, that would be good too. Uh, so so that's, those are the two venues you know, that you can get it from. I'm writing my memoirs at the moment. I hope a, a real publisher will want to, um, uh, to publish it. Uh, but uh, with, with Alice Through the Multiverse, I, I knew it was a long process to get, to get a, a first-time you know, author published, if at all. But you can do it yourself uh, on Kindle uh, and, and, and yeah, through CreateSpace on, on Amazon. So that's what I did. So go, any interested parties listening and, or if you know friends who like paranormal thrillers that take place in two time zones, uh, then you know, Alice, you know, uh, you know, Through the Multiverse is for you. Well, that's fabulous, and thank you for coming on the show and and the rest of the sexy. Thank you so much, Steve and Ray. Thank you, thank you so are, much. Are you and are you I, Facebook friends? Yes, we are. Yes, yes. So we are. Do I, I mean, forgive me in my ignorance. I have four thousand five hundred of them. Many of them, very few of whom I actually know. But uh, <laughs> I just wondered, are you among them? I definitely am. I am. Oh, good. I'm going to be and, right uh, now. Oh no. <laughs> I don't and, think and I, I will am. share I your Facebook page and make sure people find your book. And thank you for coming on the show and talking yeah, about. They can meet film. my dear too. Oh, and, and, and they go and to my Facebook wife, page. Yes. yes, yes, yes. And uh, we thank Australia and England for producing someone like you. It's one thing to have a one great auteur film and get all this Oscar accolades. It's another thing to know that there's people like yourself there that have been in the trenches and have been consistently working for most of their adult life. So thank well, th- you for that. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, I've, I'm so often interviewed by men when really I, you know, uh, I, I'd far rather be interviewed by women. Oh, hello. <laughs> oh, you're so nice. Empathy. Uh, they have greater empathy. Uh, anyway, but thank you very much, and uh, thank you for watching my films and for reading my book. Great. We, we love you, and we will. And let us know how, if, if, if uh, Alice in the Multiverse is greenlit, please let us know. We'll, we'll let everybody know. I will, and I, I will continue to listen to your site, and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, uh, because you know, horror will always be of, uh, of interest to me. Fabulous. Okay. So, Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank so, you. Thank Goodbye. you. Thank you. Well, that was the interview with Brian Trenchard Smith. I hope you sat through most of it because it was quite fascinating. It was an amazing interview to talk to do and conduct and talk to that guy. And so thank you again for coming on the show. And thank you, Steve. And I hope you go and look at Brian Trenchard Smith's movies. There's lots of them. You can look at IMDb. He's got four decades in every genre you can think of except for porn, as you heard before. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to leave you tonight. And we will be back with the Sexy Witches. We'll have a regular scheduled show. And that will be on the 28th. We're going to do a full summer preview with reviews of Brightburn and of King of the Monsters and the Aladdin live action premiere and we will also be doing westerns on June 11th as the Sexy Witch Round Robin so we're going to change genres completely and do one we don't cover very often westerns which I love but you know we're a horror geek site we usually don't cover westerns but this time we will 
So anyway, I'm going to leave you tonight with L7, Cat of Nine Tails, in honor of Steve's wonderful little concert he went to last night. And once again, blessed be and good film hunting. This is Repo Nerds. You can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spreaker, and wherever podcasts are available. Much love. Good night now. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.